My name is Philip, and 31 years ago, my life started in diapers. Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. And this is Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. Hi, Ashley. Hi. How are you? I'm good. What's going on in the Ashley universe today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got up really early. We had a breakfast at Arrowhead this morning. So I left the house at like 6.50, which is my normal waking up time. (laughs) (laughs) That's brutal. tired. Yeah. And then my parents who've been visiting were supposed to leave yesterday and my mom is deathly ill, not deathly. She's ill very ill with this violent stomach flu so even though we're in the same house i haven't seen her in two days are you do you have like a can of lysol that you're just spraying over (laughs) in her area every time you go by this sounds terrible but she's in the basement so yeah she's like got her own level down there poor thing it's just I i mean that kind of sickness is not fun to have ever but then even to not be at home on top yes, of it I'm sure she feels so bad to be at your house <laughs> but, I know. oh I'm man. just trying to give her space and you know her husband's helping her thank goodness but yeah it's not a lot you can do that's just there's awful. really not oh well I hope you guys steer clear of that because that's that's not fun at yeah. all yeah. uh um Arrowhead okay I'm ready for football season to start again already yeah. about i know we just got baseball started but <laughs> I know. well we got the draft this week and yes. then the, the president was there and he was talking about the draft that's going to take place in kansas city next year will be the biggest event kansas city has ever hosted what yeah that's crazy yeah and then i guess I didn't we have know a good it... chance for the Go world ahead. cup which would be astronomically bigger than that so. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Look at Kansas City grow. Go Kansas City. I know. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um, well, I am excited today. We have Philip Vanderclay from the National Diaper Bank Network. So the National Diaper Bank Network was formed, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, maybe 2011 give or take a year or two on either side. They do a lot of work to help um, diaper banks who are starting up and in areas where there isn't a diaper bank, getting that, um, getting that need taken care of. And Philip specifically works a lot with legislation around diaper need, which he talks quite a bit about. So I'm not going to go into all of that, but um, but it's pretty cool. He was in Jeff City a few weeks ago with some of our team um, to talk about, you know, getting the tax removed from diapers, which um, let's see, by the time this airs, they will have voted on it a few weeks ago. So we'll have to update you on how that vote went. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about Philip. I don't know anything other than he lives on the West Coast and everybody else on the National Diaper Bank Network is in Connecticut. So um, I'm excited to learn about what he has to say and who he is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, look, I don't want to make it a thing, but how's volleyball going? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
I'm fascinated. Well, it's a thing. I kind of feel like I'm letting the team down a little bit. My play Uh-oh. is is not bad. I'm not losing its games, but I'm the only person on the team that's not part of a couple. So we always oh, have gosh. this one empty spot that we keep rotating randoms into. And so I just feel like well, I'm throwing off the evenness of our team, but I, my play is, is decent. And the oh, they knew, but up. they had to know that going in, they right? Did. So yes, it's fine. It's fine. And you're playing. Yeah. As long as you're playing fine. I mean, if you put me on a team, I would not be playing fine. And they'd be like, who brought this girl? Let's get her out of here. Yeah, It's a lot of fun. I'm getting a little better. Like it's a weird vibe because it's, we play at night. Uh So there's like lights and music and there's people drinking and then you'll be playing. And then in the middle of a break or something, someone will just start like shaking their booty in their spot on the field. It's just kind of kids running around. Right. Yeah. It's fun. Oh, good. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. We might have to start having a, uh, a segment on the podcast, you know, <laughs> Ashley's volleyball experience. <laughs> well, this or early summer, we do a mud volleyball game and it's a tournament. It's all day long. Wow. Now, that is fun. Our friend have you done brings, mud volleyball before? Yes, I've done it twice before. Our friend brings the Bloody Mary bar because we get there <gasps> like 730 in the morning. He oh brings the Bloody gosh. Mary bar and then we just like play tailgate, play, like, play tailgate. And we're pretty good at the beginning. Well, we're decent at the beginning of the game. Then there's like this slow, this small period where we're really good. And then it just dives off a cliff after we've been tailgating for about three yeah. hours. It's like over is pretty good. Then you get into your primal zone of effectiveness and uh-huh. then you just crash. And then, <laughs> and then it goes downhill from there. It does. Yeah. Uh, but it's okay. a lot of fun. Well, we're going to need a picture for the podcast this summer when that happens. We're going we're gonna to have to put a mud volleyball picture up on the social media. I know. I wish I had somebody at Happy Buttons that could join the team with. I don't know that there's anybody that yeah that's would, gonna go drive out there because everybody's yeah. like in the opposite direction of you yeah for most part that's true yeah oh my goodness too funny too funny okay well um I had to check in on that so <laughs> um I think that's it let's 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 dive in and start talking to Philip let's do it okay this is Philip Vanderclay 31. You're a baby. So I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> okay. Look, I know we have our questions we have to get into, but, um, well, okay. No, maybe we'll get into that. I just, now you're 31. I have so many questions now. I've, I've all new questions. <laughs> um, well, let's start here. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about your, your early life. You know, what was that like? Paint, paint a picture for us. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess an interesting fun fact about me is that I was actually born in the Dominican Republic. Um, So my parents were missionaries out there. um, And so that's where that's where I was born as the the first child. Um, And yeah, so I was there for about five years before we moved back to the States. Um, So most of my early memories are you know yeah the the Dominican Republic and my little brother I've got four younger siblings um but my little brother didn't come around till almost four years later so oh wow yeah big this is kind of you for a long time and then you're like wait a second (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah and now there's five of us in total so (laughs) that's a lot yeah the Dominican Republic okay so they were um what what specifically was their work over there as missionaries what were they really 
Yeah. Um, so um, my dad was mostly um, doing work with uh, Haitian migrants, a lot of wow. sugarcane farmers who were coming over from Haiti to, mm -hmm. to work in the Dominican Republic. Um, and then also doing a lot of work supporting you know, kind of the local churches around his region and the local communities in, in those in those areas, you know, the small small towns and communities. So um, that's yeah, most of what they were doing. That's awesome. Okay, so where did you? So then you came back to the states when you were five. Where did they? Mm -hmm. Where did your parents come back to? Yeah, so we were in Michigan for I think maybe about a year until we moved uh, to Sacramento, um, where my dad got a job pastoring a church in, in Sacramento, and that's where I spent the rest of my childhood until I went away to college. And where did you go to college? I went to a small school called Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. How did you end so, up there? It was actually where both of my parents went to. Okay. And actually both of my dad's parents as well. And then wow. actually my great grandpa as well. <laughs> wow. And so, you know, I wasn't planning to go there. Um I was going to be the rebel who didn't go there. Um, but when I visited it, um, it was a couple of things. One, it was like the first warm spring day was the day that I visited. And so like everyone was super happy and friendly <laughs> and like, I knew it was Michigan. So I knew it was going to be cold, but it like, wasn't that cold right. and people were just a ton of fun to be around and they were outside and there was so much going on. Um, which now I know from spending more time in the Midwest. And as you both know, that first day of spring is that's the day that everyone's happy and outside and doing stuff. That's not how everyone is all year round. So. Such a cheese. Oh my um, God. And there were also good class. I mean, good classes. Uh, I enjoyed the classes I sat in on with the professors and small class sizes and all that stuff, which was great. It has a good educational reputation. So there was all that, but I think, you know, really uh, the, my, my view was colored. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, so, okay. I want to go back to the Dominican Republic. So what, what are some of your memories from there? What do you remember about that? I mean, that, that's pretty young, but um, mm -hmm. do you have some fun and fond memories? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of my memories are from just kind of around the house, um, you know, uh, hanging out with our Rottweiler Coco, um, <laughs> playing in the yard, um, playing in, in my room I mean just a kind of a lot of the basic kid yeah stuff. Kid stuff. so so then when you moved and as you got your parents are still together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yep. so with the five siblings are you guys close was that let's let's skip forward to when you were in Sacramento is that what you said uh-huh yep yeah what was that pretty much a kind of a dreamy little childhood <laughs> <laughs> it was it was uh it was great it was chaotic I mean so there's you know I've got four younger siblings I'm a bit older than them um mm -hmm. so something I've realized kind of like later on as we've all you know kind of conversed as adults is I was kind of always a little bit farther off from everyone else you know the difference yeah. between me and my brother is almost the difference kind of between like the rest of them um yeah. so in some ways you know they kind of had you know, just more similar perspective and shared experiences with that. I also had a lot of friends in the neighborhood. Um, so there was just kind of like 
kids around all the time. <laughs> and I was homeschooled too. So it was also just like constantly, you know, being around wow. family and kids in the neighborhood and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff going on. Were you homeschooled all the way through high school? Through most of high school. So I did independent study starting my like sophomore year of high school um, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to play sports at the local high school. So Um, yeah, so I did that. And then I went to the actual high school for senior year. um, I guess because you probably didn't really know any different. What was that home? I mean, uh, well, I'm going to ask what was homeschooling like, but you really (laughs) didn't know any different. So I'm guessing you loved it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I would say a big difference from going from homeschooling to being, you know, in class all the time. My senior year of high school is just being in in class all the time. And so, you know, with homeschooling is a lot of you know, self-directed learning. And especially um, during that time, my mom was a teacher. My dad was staying home and homeschooling us. You know, he's a pastor. Then he'd go kind of like in the afternoon when my mom came home. Um, and so, you know, lots of, you know, all my younger siblings were, were homeschooled during that time as well. And so uh, there's lots of like learning stuff myself out of like textbooks or reading or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So um, just got very used to that. And then, you know, being in class all the time, it just, have a lot of time where you're like not necessarily doing anything, you know, in comparison. So that was a, it was a big adjustment. Um, I bet <laughs> sitting still all day in class, you know, moving from one classroom to another, but having to sit there. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. um, my son is really excited that this week is map testing, which is like the standardized testing. I was like, why are you excited about map testing? He's like, well, it takes up most of the day and I don't get bored. Okay. <laughs> I always also liked the standardized testing stuff when I was homeschooled because that was, we'd come, we'd still the standardized tests, but then it was like all the regional, like other homeschoolers or something like mm. come together. And so it'd be like a day that I actually had like classmates, I guess. <laughs> so uh, like, yeah. <laughs> they were like fun. You got to hang out with people, you know, it was kind of a different. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause you probably didn't get the, well, I mean, I'm sure there had to have been some social, some other social outlets outside of school that, that your parents probably got you involved in to, you know. Yeah. A lot of sports. Um, and then I was really lucky that I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood. Um, so like all my best friends growing up were basically like across the street or next door. So I was, that worked out very well. Um, that's great in terms of, are you still friends with those people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't keep in touch with them obviously as much as yeah. Yeah. (laughs) we all in our separate ways. Uh Um, so how did you get into the work that you're doing now? That's what I really want to know. Yeah. So. I, when thinking about what I was going to study in college, uh, didn't really know like a lot of high schoolers, um, but I had an AP government class my senior year that I really liked. And it was um, right around the 2008 election. And so there was the whole, you know, like Obama McCain election and it was all just really interesting. And I really liked my government class. And so I studied political science in college and just basically went down that path and then had a internship my senior year of college at the California state Capitol. Um, and I love that. I loved working on, on policy and, um, you know, getting to craft like, programs and laws that, you know, going to be working to, to help people, you know, help, help communities like the ones I had grown up in. And so it was really exciting. And, um, and I was lucky to get accepted into the Senate fellows program after college and just kind of went off from there. 
What is the Senate Fellows Program? It's basically like a year-long program where you get placed in a Senate office, uh, basically as a legislative aide. Um, okay. And you take a couple like master's classes uh, concurrently. And then, um, yeah, after that, you got to figure out <laughs> what you want to do next. Um, but it's the yeah, competitive program that you have to apply to. And, and so um, it, was, it was a great way for me to get, uh, you know, my career started working in the legislature. That's awesome. I'm still trying to learn how our government works. <laughs> it works different ways depending on the day is part of the thing. It's not like a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's a, it's, it's all, it's its own big can of worms. Very... I think I would get really defeated just cause like you go in passionate, wanting to make a change, make a difference. And then the way that it actually works is not easy to, to see that every day, I'm sure. I mean, I think it probably takes a while to get even incremental things accomplished. So I would find yeah, that hard. <laughs> for sure. I mean, some days your win is like that someone responded to you and set up a meeting with you. And some days right. your win is that, um, yeah, someone like, you know, tweeted out something or put out a public statement, like kind of in support of the work you do. I mean, it's not even it's a not- law getting passed. You're just like, hey, we have some more support. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. That's really hard work, I think. So kudos to you for doing that. I I agree with Ashley. I don't, I I feel like that would just be really hard. (laughs) Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I will say the great work that you all do definitely makes my job easier because I just have to brag about you. So, Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So when, uh, when and how did you learn about poverty? Um, yeah, I have maybe some early memories or or early recognition of it, you know, starting in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty poor country in comparison to the United States. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was obviously always a part of my parents' mission. And I just kind of feel like I grew up having the recognition of that, that other people didn't have the same resources, the same things that, that we had. Um, and you know, that continued when we moved to Sacramento too. I mean, my dad was pastoring a small church, but in an area of Sacramento that has, you know, a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness, um, you know, families with, with different issues. I certainly saw it, uh, you know, all growing up different friends that I had, um, you know, growing up that, yeah, obviously didn't have the same resources or, or access to opportunities that I had. Um, so just kind of aware of that all, all throughout my childhood. Yeah. I would think definitely growing up in the Dominican Republic, it was probably just something you were always aware of and the work that your parents were doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, um, always around. You know, what's interesting, um, our church, I guess, sponsors a couple villages through Compassion International, and they had the CEO come speak to our congregation a month or so ago. And he, his story is that his parents were missionaries and he grew up, it was either Africa or Haiti, somewhere in Africa or Haiti, I apologize, I can't remember, but he experienced everything that the children there experienced. You know, he experienced hunger. He had six-year-old friends die of disease. He nearly died himself from fire ants. 
but he almost died from fire ants when he was like six years old. And so that kind of just spawned him to want to serve children the rest of his life. And he blew Compassion International up into what it is today and just millions of children being sponsored all over the world. It's really fascinating. He's a fascinating person, but he started like, like you, Philip. That's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Tell us a little bit more. I want to go back to the work you're doing now. So you're at the National Diaper Bank Network and you're helping all of these diaper banks across the country try and, you know, really affect some change um, at state level and probably at the federal level too um, towards diaper need. Um, I don't know. Just tell us a little bit about that. A little bit about, you know, I don't know. I, I just want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know if there was sure. a question in there, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. It's, it's mm-hmm. my everyday. Um, so yeah, we have more than 225 members across all 50 States, DC and Puerto Rico. Um, and my job as the director of policy and government relations is to support the advocacy and policy work of those members in addressing diaper need or, or period poverty. You know, we work on that side too with the Alliance for Period Supplies, um, you know, in, in state legislation and at the federal level. And so, you know, we were um, really fortunate to have a lot of our efforts pay off this past appropriation cycle at the federal level and secure for the first time ever federal funding to support diaper distribution. Um, so we're not exactly sure how that's going to play out right now, but it is 10 million that's been appropriated. And so that's really exciting. And, um, you know, we've secured millions of dollars at the state level in, in a few different states. I think we're at seven now, um, that the state is actually funding diaper banks. Um, and so a lot of it is, especially at the beginning is awareness raising, just like you all do as a diaper bank, um, you know, educating people on what diaper need is, how it impacts families, and also the benefits of addressing it, you know, for those families, for local economies, uh, for the state, and and why it's a worthwhile investment. And so it is a lot of, you know, just talking to people about the issue, you know, the legislators and staff, um, you know, connecting it to issues they're passionate about, uh, whether it's families having jobs, childcare issues, early health, um, child development, and, and then, you know, ha- helping them realize the importance that diaper banks play in, in their ecosystem. And so it's a lot of that. And then once we kind of start getting folks on board and saying, okay, I, I, I get what you all are doing, you know, how can I help? What, what should we be doing from a policy perspective? Then it's, okay, well, here's, here's the number. Here's how much we want funded in the state budget to support the work of diaper banks. Here is, um, you know, the sales tax that we should repeal so that we're taking five, seven, 10% off of the cost of diapers for everyone because it's a basic need. Um, or here is a way that we can uh, get cash to families so that they can purchase diapers, you know, through TANF, through a child tax credit, those types of different policies. Um, and a lot of it is just kind of feeling out where the politics are in each state or, or with a potential champion or, or a key legislator who we need to get support from. Um, and trying to to build those relationships and navigate things and get ourselves positioned so that we can we can maybe have a win and then if we don't get it done get ready to come back the next year and try again it seems like there's a lot of people you know politicians that are talking about the need for everybody to be able to access child care mm-hmm. you know like there's even on national talk shows you hear them talk about yeah. how child care is a right 
And I feel like we should be able to piggyback right onto that because we go together. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope at every level we're able to effectively communicate that, you know, you don't have childcare if you don't have diapers. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's been one of our strongest talking points over the last few years, especially with some of the research that came out of Connecticut. Um, and, you know, we really found, especially, you know, during the pandemic, obviously people really focused on addressing basic needs and kind of the economic disruptions of the pandemic but coming out of the pandemic too, as people were trying to look for, for jobs and, and getting people back to work, that childcare component was so critical. Um, and Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa, who's been a really great uh, champion and supporter, um, that's kind of how we started working with her was she's always really been passionate about childcare issues and worked on childcare policy. And so we'd talk to her specifically about the role that diapers play in childcare. And that was a key way for us to, to talk to her about our work and, and get her involved. That's awesome. Do, um, are the, I, sh- I don't know the answer to this question. That's why I'm asking you. Um, uh, so we know that in Missouri, the tax on diapers is a luxury tax. Is that a federal or a state thing? That's a state thing. That's right? a state thing. That's yeah. a state thing. Yeah. So I don't, I guess I'm curious, are, is it, is it a lug, is it considered a luxury tax in other states who have not been able to repeal that tax? Or do you know, is it kind of all over the place? Yeah, it kind of depends on how the state sets state up their set sales up. tax mm-hmm. system. You know, some states have, kind of like that luxury tax threshold and they have like a lower like grocery sales tax or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, other States, it's just like, they have a sales tax that applies to most things and they have things that sales tax doesn't apply to like groceries usually. Right. Or right. medicine or, or those kind right. of things. So it just kind of depends on how they have it set yeah. up. Well, it's just, yeah, we, I was just in a meeting this morning. We were talking about how ridiculous it was that it's considered a luxury tax. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't think anybody thinks about changing a diaper as a luxury. Right. (laughs) Uh, Right. So, um, okay. So we are all leaders in some way. Can you tell us how you're a leader and if there was a defining point or person that led to that? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, So, I would say that I'm a leader in the sense of that I lead our policy and advocacy work for <laughs> diaper banks, you know, for, for our organization and for a lot of, you know, our, our members um, and, and trying to move things forward and working collaboratively with, with everyone um, on like executing our, our shared strategies to, to impact change. I think that growing up playing a lot of sports um, is, you know, one way in which you kind of have that like teamwork and leadership instilled early and as a team captain on some of my you know early sports teams or whatever and <laughs> having to like play that role as uh, a high schooler and kind of what that meant um but then also uh working jobs throughout all, all throughout high school and college I was a lifeguard and a pool manager <laughs> and so I was like 20 years old like managing a pool that had a couple of hundred people showing up to swim at it and like managing a dozen like teenage lifeguards. It's like a very specific leadership style to, you know, navigate both the general public who um, is at the pool and a group of teenagers who are responsible for keeping people safe and alive. That sounds like great training for working with our government. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, 
sounds like really <laughs> great training. <laughs> you know, there's... no wonder you ended up where you did. <laughs> he goes in personalities everywhere. So. Yes, exactly. What was your favorite sport <laughs> growing up to play? Uh, basketball. Okay. Played basketball pretty much my entire great. life. Yeah, I still play when I when I can. When my you knees can. Just a little bit more than right. <laughs> <I used> to. <laughs> just wait you're still young they're gonna hurt a lot more, so. <laughs> we were at a uh, breakfast this morning um all about you know empowering women for leadership and two of the speakers are the owners of the women's soccer team first professional soccer team here in kansas city um oh, cool energy and chris long and they were talking about how there was a survey that was done recently of 400 women executives and 95% of them participated in sports or were former, oh. former athletes. Like there is a wow. direct link between sports and leadership. It's fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. Well, you learned, so, I think you learned so many of those skills through that teamwork. And you, I mean, you have to um, make adjustments and learn how to compromise early where there's not always that, you know, that you don't always have to do that unless you're really involved in that team sport or something like that. I'm finally sure. catching up on Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen there Ted Lasso. Yeah. I'm obsessed, yeah. but I'm just like, very yes, positive I leadership. mean, if Ted Lasso was your coach, you would be the best leader ever eventually. Right. Like you, <laughs> it's so great. Anyway, I could tell that could be its yeah. whole own podcast. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it and others get out clean? Oh man, I would love to hear more about what you are thinking of with that question. My first response is luck. I feel like <laughs> You know, there are some days where I'm just like, wow, dodged a bullet on that one. And <laughs> other days it's like, oh, yep, I did not dodge the bullet. <laughs> now I got to deal with the mess. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think luck has a lot to do with it. It's been really fun to listen to everybody's different answers um, on that question. And I think luck does come up quite a bit. Um Sure. I think the other response that people usually give is like having a support system is mm -hmm. foundational to whether you, you know, you know, have support mm -hmm. and benefits and can make it through different things or whether you, you know, you're out there struggling by yourself and mm -hmm. that makes it a million times harder. So I think the support system and the community is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And especially even if times that you do end up in it, having that support system to help get you out of it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so important for sure. What do you most value? I most value intentional quality time with family and loved ones. Um, you know, I think that's something that especially as I've gotten a little bit older and just kind of progressed in life. Um, I've really come to, to appreciate even more. Mm -hmm. Do you have nieces and nephews yet? I do not. No. Okay. <laughs> As the oldest. You, you yeah. Yeah. First. <laughs> um, yeah. You're probably getting the pressure on that front. I would, <laughs> As the oldest. Um, 
are your siblings, are you and your siblings all still, did you, I, did you guys, I mean, five, that is a lot. One of my best friends growing up, there were four of them and boy, was that house crazy. I mean, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Always something going on, but I'm guessing it was, you know, you loved each other and you hated each other, but you yeah. still loved each other. Um, and mm-hmm. are you guys still close? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're kind of spread all throughout the Western seaboard. Mm-hmm. Now from, you know, I'm down in Los Angeles. Um, my sister who's farthest away is up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone else is in between. Um, so yeah, but we still do, you know, holidays back home in Sacramento and oh, it's all, that's all nice. really fun. At yeah. least you're all still on the West coast and haven't, you know, gone over the place. Um, have you been to quite a few states working, um, doing the work that you're doing now? I know you just, you were in Missouri not that long yes. ago. You got yes, to come to good old Jeff city. Great. Um, <laughs> have you been able to go to a lot of states? Uh, yeah. So was actually just, uh, on Friday in Omaha. Um, so that was a new one. Yep. Okay. Um, Obviously, I've done California. I uh, was in Connecticut for a while. Obviously, I've uh, done Massachusetts, Georgia, New York. Um, and if there hadn't been COVID, there would have been a number more. <laughs> I bet. How is it? So most of the staff of National Diaper Bank Network um, are in Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, they probably all are, except for you. Well, it's uh, me. There's a few now, actually. So it's me okay. and then Lacey, who also does okay. our policy work. Yep. Great. Um, she's in Louisiana. Oh, uh, I don't think I realized that. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So how is that working kind of remote when everybody's, how are you um, staying connected and feeling like part of that team? Yeah, I think it's really fortunate that we have a team culture that just communicates really well and stays in touch via you know the different communication platforms we have access to now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and so that's, that's been really good. And you know, since going remote as an organization, when COVID hit, just like everyone else did, it's just been a really effective way for us all to work. I mean, as a national network, um, I think it actually really helped us even be more in communication with members across the country because everybody really got used to, you know, communicating via zoom and, and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, remotely and electronically. And so, you know, no staff now who are back in Connecticut, they're, they are back in the office sometimes. Um, and so certainly, you know, I'm missing out on some of that stuff now, but yeah. I feel like it's been pretty seamless for, for the most part, since kind of the big, like world changing transition that <laughs> happened in March, 2020. Yeah. Well, and hopefully, so, uh, National Diaper Bank Network puts on a conference every year. Um, yeah. and uh, I think we're back in person this year yeah. in Florida. So I, I assume so. That you'll be there for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That'll I be think... your first in-person conference, right? It'll be my second. So I was actually okay. in Cincinnati in 2019. Okay. Okay. Great. Yep. Great. 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 I forget about yep. the Cincinnati one. Cause I was not able to attend. Uh, um, yeah. But awesome. Well, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. I think it'll be oh, yeah. really fun to get back together with everybody. Definitely. I mean, it was so fun to be in Jefferson City with with all the Missouri folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, to, to be doing some more travel these last few few months. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Those are two other states I've done. <laughs> so, oh, nice. Very yeah. nice. Um, so, yeah. Been great to great to be seeing all the diaper bankers in person again. 
Good. Well, we thank you for all the work and help that you give all of us and happy bottoms and absolutely. Um, yeah. Thanks for being on today. Ashley, you have any (laughs) other, um, anything you want to add or ask? The only thing I was wondering were, as you probably know, and I don't know how much involved with this, you may be or not, but we're currently doing that economic impact study, right? Or Mm -hmm. several diaper Mm -hmm. banks are. Yeah. How are we going to use that information and leverage it to raise awareness, Mm. hopefully affect change? Like what, especially, you know, a little bit of a personal stake in this, like how can we maximize (laughs) the impact of that information? Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, So I have been thinking about this and really excited about it since my colleague Lynn started talking about this with the full team. And we have seen a lot of value come out of kind of the originator study that happened in Connecticut that this national study is, is based off of. And the results of that, the economic returns for families um, who were benefiting from diaper bank services, the decreased costs for uh, healthcare interventions um, because of decreased infections. And then, you know, just like you were saying earlier, Ashley, that connection to childcare. Um, and so that study has been, I think, so valuable in moving the ball forward on national advocacy work and in advocacy work in different states. And so to be able to have that for specific states, for specific diaper banks across the country, I think is really going to have a kind of multiplying impact uh, on our work and what we're able to see. And we can do things like holding uh, capital briefings to where we can discuss the results of the study related to a specific state and the diaper banks within that state. Um, We can point out what kinds of policy or budget investments the state could make to really see, you know, positive impacts from from that. Um, Certainly, I would anticipate media coverage of the the study, the results of it, both on a national level and on like a state and local level. Um, You know, it's a great opportunity for diaper banks to be able to go to their local press and say, Hey, you should do a story on on the work that we're doing and, and the impacts that it's having, which, you know, shows up in the paper. That's something that the local legislator is going to be reading about. And then they're going to be, you know, more interested and motivated to to do something in in the capital about it. So um, there's a ton of those types of things that I think we can kind of do and leverage um, all over the country, which will be really, really exciting. That is exciting. I'm, I can't wait till it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. I think Stay we patient. all feel that. Yes, <laughs> we all feel that. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, anything else you want to share with us, Philip? No, just thanks so much for having me on to chat. And thanks so yeah. much for all the awesome work that that you all do. Um, like I said, it it really does make my job so much easier to just be able to brag about your good work. Um, and so I just really want to, want to highlight that you all are, are doing amazing stuff in, in your communities and, um, and people are noticing and people are excited to, to help you and support you in doing more. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you until, uh, October. We'll yeah, see we'll you see in, in Florida. We'll see you in Florida. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was Philip. I realized I kind of just dove in and didn't even welcome him. I was just like, I want to get to <laughs> did this. We not? I no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I did. I just dove right in, but I think I was excited to hear about how he got into this work. Very interested in politics. And I, you know, it is able to affect 
change more so, you know, probably than we could do with just a slap of, yeah, there's $10 million or whatever, but yeah. to get there is just excruciating. Yeah, it is. It is. Seems like a lot of hoops to jump through, but, mm-hmm. um, but that was really cool. And to find out that he was born in the Dominican Republic and has all those siblings, you know, we always learn something new about somebody that we work with. Yeah. <laughs> I just assumed he was in DC. Uh, I did know that he was not in DC just from being on some zoom calls and the time, the time difference, but, um, but I did not know that Lacey, who he works with also on policy is in Louisiana. So that's good that they're, I think, spreading out a little bit. Um, hopefully that helps with just representation of all of the diaper banks across the country. You know, when, when happy bottom started, there were like five in the country. And now what did he say? He's working with over 225. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we've come a long ways. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. It is awesome. So, all right. Well, um, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hi everybody. Again, um, (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, uh, you know, I just got back, um, I had a wonderful vacation with my daughter and my mother, and then I was able to travel to um, Washington, D.C. to visit the D.C. Diaper Bank with several other diaper bankers, and we also went to the Connecticut Diaper Bank in New Haven, and we were all sitting around a table at the D.C. Diaper Bank um, just kind of, you know, discussing diaper banking, diaper need, all things diapers when we got the news about um, Roe versus Wade being overturned. And it was just so timely because we were sitting there talking about diaper need. And I feel it is important um, that we talk a little bit about this because it is going to affect diaper banks hugely. Um, So I can't imagine the increase of need. Right. The increase of need. I mean, these moms who now don't have the choice and might have to have a child that they are not financially or emotionally prepared for. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'll leave. I mean, there's, there's so many things they're not pre- prepared for that we could talk about, but I'm just going to talk about the financial piece. Um, and it's hard to say that one piece is even more important than the other, but you know, diapers are expensive. Diapers in most states have a luxury tax on them, um, making them even more expensive. You know, we've, as you know, Ashley, we've been trying to get the diaper tax removed in the state of Missouri and, um, you know, to no avail. And I, I don't know when or if that will happen, Um, And the pandemic has increased. We're seeing inflation in in everything. So that's just going to put an even larger expense on moms and dads. Moms and dads who are working families, by the way, the majority of our families are working parents. Um, So it's frustrating. It's maddening. Um, We did go and protest at uh, the Senate a little bit. No, the Senate. We did go and protest at the Supreme court a little bit. Um, it was very powerful and I, I, I hope that something can be done about it. Um, because 
not having diapers has such a long lasting effect on so many families. It's not just about diapers, but you know, and, and the, uh, the effects of overturning Roe versus Wade are just going to have, are going to amplify all of the struggles that communities, low-income communities face. Well, I think just working in the situation as it is now, the thing that I think about is we have to be more fierce about the messaging to the people who have the power that, okay, if, if the decision is what it is, then you better provide resources at the very minimum for the, you know, put your money where your mouth is and at least give us more to do more, you know, we can't necessarily change, um, abortion law, but the very least you can do is fund the social service agencies and organizations that Mm -hmm. can do something. So, yeah, because if you want a child to thrive and even live after birth, they can't do it without support, without so much support. I mean, we already know that the uh, maternal death rate is incredible. No, sorry. We know that the child mortality rate is pretty high and especially for um, women of color and it's just going to get higher. So how is that saving any lives? I just don't understand. Um, so anyway, we just, we just wanted to jump on. I I felt like it was a very relevant topic for what we do at happy bottoms. And, um, we might've just needed, I might've just needed to vent for a minute. (laughs) Um, but you know, now more than ever, it is important to support those early childhood resources, um, communities who are supporting moms and babies, um, and you know, get out and vote. That I'll just say, get out and vote. Whatever you vote, it's important. So please vote. Well, you can only control what we can control. So Absolutely. do what you can. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.